today's passage. Now, today's passage is one of those passages in Scripture that if you're new to Christianity, it will make you think twice about following Jesus. What did I commit myself to? What did I sign up for? I know that Jesus says to remain in him, to abide in him. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he rose again. I desire that forgiveness for my sin. I enjoy the Christian community. I can see how following Christ gives me purpose and value in life. But wait a minute, Jesus, you didn't tell me about this a couple verses later. But if you've been following Christ for some time, and you are very well aware of the cost of your discipleship, today's passage causes us to really challenge ourselves, to look in the mirror and say, how much do I love Christ? And how much do I truly love the world and the things of this world, the comforts of this world, the acceptance of this world? our social standing in this world. How much do I love Christ and his body? So this passage is a passage of warning that Jesus gives to his disciples. And what we see in today's passage in John chapter 15 is a warning, two warnings, and a call to remind us of our witness. I've entitled our talk today, Warning and Witness. If you have God's word, meet me now in John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. where we will see that Jesus warns his disciples of the coming persecution, but he also encourages them by reminding them that he's sending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will empower Jesus' followers to remain in him and to bear witness for him. That's what we're going to see today. Now, point number one, there are three points today. Point number one is the hatred, the hatred. And specifically in verses 18 to 25, we're talking about the hatred from the world towards Christians, the hatred. Now, if you look at verse 18 and 19, we see this theme begin to unfold, the hatred. Let me read this into your hearing, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has directed its hate towards you. So know that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, that's the reason they hate you. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So if you notice, if you notice in verse 18, we see the first reason that the world would hate Christ followers is because they hate Christ. That's the, that's the first simple reason, that the world will hate genuine Christians because they hate Christ. I want you once again to notice the order that I pointed out and gave attention to as I was reading the verse. It says, it has hated me before it directed its hate towards you. Now, hate's a strong word. I know many of us, we might say we hate, but do we really know what that word means? Hate is a very strong word, but Jesus the God of love uses hatred seven times in our passage. Seven times. Now, I'm not reading anything spiritual into the usage of seven and seven being the, the, the number of completion and perfection in biblical literature. I'm not reading that in, but just giving you the fact that he uses hatred seven times. The God of love in the book of John, the disciple of love, uses hatred. So it's very clear that Jesus is speaking about hatred, but what is hatred? 
Hatred is not apathy. Apathy can turn into hatred, but hatred, apathy is often what we think that the world feels towards Christianity. Oh, we don't really care what Christians think as long as they don't bother us. That's not really where our world is at. Hatred is an emotion. Hatred is a form of love. It's the opposite side of love. You hate because you care. If you didn't care, you wouldn't say, I hate. You hate because something that you love, the world, something that you love, your freedom, yourself, something that you love is being threatened. And your response, hate. That's what Jesus is saying. Hate speaks of the natural human propensity to reject God. You see, apart from the work of the Spirit, none of us, none of us would want Jesus to be Lord over our hearts. Because the natural human tendency is to see religion and God as oppressive. Christianity is seen as a set of rules that's designed to restrict your personal freedom, whether it's your financial freedom, your moral freedom, your sexual freedom, your comforts. That's what Jesus is saying that naturally, the natural man, apart from the Spirit, is going to hate Christ because they see Christ as oppressing their self, their self-desire, their self-centeredness. And if you are a follower of Christ, they're going to say, oh, you're, when we see you, we ought to see you representing Christ, therefore we hate you. That's what Jesus is saying, they hate you, not because they simply hate you. They hate you because they hate me. That's what he's saying. Now, in verse 19, we see the second reason. So the first reason why the world will hate Christians is because they hate Christ. Now, the second reason in verse 19 is because Christians, we are not of this world. Now, I'll read this to you, verse 19. It says, if you were of the world. Now, that doesn't mean that you're an alien, literally, but it does mean that Jesus has rescued you as a believer out of the world. You are now transferred from the realm of darkness to the realm of glorious and marvelous light. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you were of the world, if you were still part of the world, meaning if you were still under the world system, the world would love you as its own. Stop there. What does Jesus mean by the world? I want you to notice that Jesus uses the world six times in our passage, but five times times in this one verse. Verse 19, five times, as if Jesus is being so repetitive. The world, you're not of the world. If you were of the world, the world, the world. Okay, Jesus, what are you trying to say? I get that you keep repeating world. And what he's trying to show is that Christians, you're set apart from this world. There's a stark, stark contrast. Now, when John, in John's writings, when he uses the world, he uses it in two ways. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? John 3, 16. When John uses the world in that context, he's talking about the nations. He's talking about the various peoples of the world, that, that Jesus does not just love Israel, but he loves Israel and the nations. He loves people in the world. He wants to save the world. So in that sense, we are supposed to love the world. We're supposed to have a heart for God's world. We're supposed to love people and, because we want them to receive Christ. But the majority of the times, especially in the epistle of 1 John, when John uses cosmos, he's talking about the world system. He's talking about a system that since the fall of man, governed by Satan, is bent 
to push back against God. It is the system of darkness. It is the world system of economy, of culture, that's directed to serve the self, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the heart of man. And so at the heart of the world system is yourself and your personal freedom. And everything in the world is speaking to that freedom, saying God wants to oppress you, Adam and Eve. God's holding something back from you. So don't listen to God. Eat the fruit. That's where it began. And from there came out this entire world system. And you see where the world is today. Violence, war, selfishness, a lack of God, so forth. And so that's the world system that we were all under. We loved the world. And if we're honest, as Christians, we are still tempted to love and desire the comforts of this world. There's a constant battle. But we remember that's what he means when Jesus says, you are no longer of this world. I've called you, I've saved you from that evil world system. If you were still governed by that world system that's tugging at your flesh to worship yourself and to get whatever you want, then the world would love you because the world system is designed to serve your self. The world would accept you. But because you're not of this world, that's why they will not love you. And then he says in the second half of verse 19, but because you're not of the world, you're no longer of the world, you've, I chose you, I've elected you, I've called you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus couldn't have been more clear than that. And so in many ways, Spiritually speaking, 1 Peter teaches us that we are all foreigners in this land. We are citizens of heaven, but we still have our call on this earth. We're sojourners. We are elect exiles. Paul describes us as a new creation in Christ. We're new creatures. That's why when the world looks at believers, it, they ought to, we, we shouldn't be unapproachable. We need to be missional, evangelistic. But there has to be something different about our character and our culture, that when the world looks at us, they're like, dude, you are a weird alien type of creature. You're foreign. You don't belong here. Get out of here. Right? That's the idea Jesus is getting at, that we are completely born again, John chapter 3. We are born again, and we are new people. Now, verse 20, if you notice verse 20, it repeats the same teaching that Jesus is making. It says, remember the word that I said to you, He's talking to his disciples. He's been teaching them. He says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your word. Now, that last clause where it says, if they kept my word, they will also keep your word, that simply means Jesus saying, if they listen to my teaching, they will listen to your preaching, disciples, when I send you out. And subsequently, all disciple makers all Christians, when you try to evangelize or share your Christian values or share the love of God, if they listened to Jesus, they would listen to you. But, if, but since they crucified Jesus, they will also crucify you literally or just figuratively speaking, right? They will also reject you. That's all Jesus is saying. And Jesus experienced the world's hatred. And so he's been saying the command, remain in me, John 15, abide in me. If you remain in me, your faith will be challenged. If you abide in me, they will push back against you, the world. And so that's the temptation he's getting at, at his disciples. The temptation 
for his disciples is, is twofold. One, Jesus is saying, you need to remain in me, but he will keep them in the faith, right, through the Spirit. But there's the threat of apostasy, but greater than apostasy, and I think this is where it speaks to you and me, there's a failure of mission. They might still secretly believe in Jesus. How could they not? They've experienced him personally. But his own apostles might hide. This doesn't, this is, you know, like, you can't really hide. If you're a genuine Christian, you can only do this, and people can see, okay, you're a Christian, you're hiding your face. Not in my manuscript, sorry if that's a fail, but, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, we hide, maybe you're willing to share your belief in church, but you and I are tempted to hide what? Our mission, our witness. That's his call to his disciples. I'm not afraid so much that you guys are going to completely desert me. You'll still believe in me. You can't deny that I'm real. But you might keep your faith secret and you might not obey the Great Commission. That's where it cuts us. And that's convicting, brothers and sisters in Christ. I had to look in the mirror. I remember one leader, I was part of a leadership cohort, and there were, there were church planners there, there were multicultural pastors, and we're just talking about engaging the culture and, and what do we do about, about church. And I remember this one uh, leader, missional leader named Brian Sanders. I never heard of him before, and he said something so convicting. He said, Pastor, would you rather have a church? Remember the 20-80 principle, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work in most churches. Would you rather have a church of 2,000 people? So you get up every Sunday and you preach to 2,000 people. Or would you rather have a church? And, and of those 2,000 people, only 200 of them, right? Only 20% are on mission for Jesus. Or would you ha rather have a church of only 200 people, not 2,000, 200, but every single person that you're preaching to, you're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. They're all on mission 80% of the time during the week because you have your careers and your families, but 80% of the time you're on mission. And that cut me because I said, well, you know, can I have the 2,000 and we, as long as they give offering, then we can do a lot of missions? <laughs> you know, well, you know, a church of 2,000, that's pretty prestigious. Obviously, we all have our human flesh. But I knew what was right. Is that Jesus has called us all to be his everyday missionaries. And we can't hide that. And when we come to church, we desire seekers and non-Christians. But who's going to bring seekers to church? Missionaries are going to invite their everyday neighbors to come and, be, and listen, and, and you can imagine that every single person sitting there is either a seeker or they're an everyday missionary trying to get that Ephesians 4 in, being equipped to be the church and being equipped to be disciple makers. And that was convicting even for me. Is that even you can look at church and you, look, you can look at ministry and you can say, do I love the standards of this world, which means the bigger the church the more people you have, the bigger the budget, that you've, you're successful in the church world. That's convicting because you guys know that 20% obedience to the mission is not successful. 80% is better. So how about 80% of the people in your church engage in the mission and 20% being the seekers or the people who are hurting and struggling and need pastoral care? But 80% of the people on mission. <clears throat> and I said, Lord... We got to be more we got to be not disobedient. We got to be more obedient. Some of you have asked, how come we're giving a, a gospel invitation after every sermon? What happened? 
want to be obedient to the mission. want you guys to catch the drift. We want to be evangelistic. We need to be better at it. Pastor, you know, you, where do you guys spend your time? Why are you guys always at the next steps table? We want to engage people. We need to be equipped. We can't run from the mission. The temptation for us in a post-Christian world is that the more the world pushes against our culture in the workplace, in the schools, in our communities, the more we say, okay, you know what, I can be a Christian in the four walls, but outside the four walls, mm. that's this text coming alive. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit uses it to speak to you. So we need to pray to God every single morning, every single day. Lord, how are you wanting us to be on mission with you? Right? The third reason they hate, they will hate Christians. The first was because they hate Christ. The second, they will hate you because you're not of this world. You're on mission now to the world. But the third is because they hate God the Father. Now, you notice this third reason in verses 21 to 25. Let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. It says this. But all these things they will do to you on account of me, because they do not know him who sent me, being God the Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. You see that? Whoever hates me, they hate God. They don't know Yahweh. They truly don't know God. And in verses 24 and 25, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Now, here Jesus is not saying, he's not saying that if he didn't come, the world would be guiltless. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying if he didn't teach that they would all go to heaven. But he's saying that his words... And his works expose the world's central and controlling sin. That even when God sent his very own son, even when God himself came and took on human flesh and taught and healed and fed and loved and did all this, all this service for people, they still crucified him. His very own people, his very own people, the people who were waiting for him to come as Messiah, when he came, they rejected him. And so therefore, what he's saying is that my word... And then, obviously, by extension, the gospel and my work, the cross and the resurrection, if people reject that, there's no, no longer an excuse. That's the point he's trying to make. They're no longer guiltless. They've never been guiltless. But now their guilt has been put before them. It's been exposed that, that you know, someone can't say, well, if God would only show up, well, God did show up. If God would only serve me, oh, Jesus served a lot of people. And people still rejected the Son of God, which means what? They never had a true relationship with the Father. If they knew the Father, they would recognize His Son. And at the end of the passage, Jesus, He quotes Psalm 69, 4, they hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. Literally, Jesus fulfills this. And in John chapter 3, verse 19, John said much earlier, and this is the judgment. This is the judgment. This is why they're guilty. The light has come into the world, and people loved. They weren't apathetic. They loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And when your works are evil, and you want to hide it, and you want to hide in darkness, and somebody comes in with a floodlight, it makes you uncomfortable. And so Christians, if we are the light 
of Christ. If Christ is the light of the world and we are to be salt and light, when we shine our light, it's going to be too bright at times and people are not going to want it. Now, there's many ways where the world continues to challenge us, right? Uh, and so just for some of you who are keeping track of the flow, the second point is going to be really quick. Okay, so don't worry. But I want to give you some application now rather than at the end. I want to give you an example of, of how we need to be equipped as parents, as students, as grandparents, as Christians. We need to be equipped and we need to pray for people who are working uh, on the front line. Right? But here's an example of the world challenging God's created order and, and design. That when God says, this is my design for gender and sexuality, that the world pushes back. And I want to give you this example from the California uh, public school education system. And we got this information. We have teachers that we love in our school, uh, in our church, that teach in public education. One of, uh, we have someone that's pretty high up in public education. And, they, and, and when we ask for information, they'll give us saying, hey, this is something that you need to be aware of. And maybe your people want to be aware of this just so that we as pastors can equip now, first, we have to continue to pray for our Christian teachers and Christian educational administrators who work in public education. Uh, we, and then we need to equip parents with children in public schools, and then we must equip our students who attend public schools to understand the language of Scripture, the language of the world, and how they intersect and how to engage. Now, one of our public educators provided us uh, with the recent uh, California Health Education Framework, and you can get this on the California Department of Education website and take a look at this framework. It, it has it for each grade, okay? And what we're told, before I show it to you, is that whether or not the teachers are going to teach certain materials, it depends on pressure from the superintendent, uh, pressure from the, the school's principal, pressure from the school board, pressure from parents, uh, or that teacher's personal choice. And so there is some freedom and there is some distinction that a school district in uh, San Francisco downtown might have a very different standard from, of application of the framework for, from a school in, let's say, Yerba Linda or San Clemente. You get my drift on that. Let me show you what was provided to us. And you can get the entire framework which all of our pastors have been given. Okay? Here's what it says. Let me quote it for you. Okay? It says, this is... Quote, when providing instruction on sexual and reproductive organs, teachers can introduce the concept that gender does not always match the sexual and reproductive organs described. So this is for third grade. Now the teacher has the option. Now the Christian teacher can choose, okay, maybe I take a stand here and I don't have to, I can just teach what the science book says and God's design. Or they might feel a little bit of pressure depending on what school district they are in. Or they might feel some pressure from some parents from a certain agenda saying, hey, why don't you teach more inclusively of the culture? But here's what it says. You see it for yourselves there in red. Teachers can. This is the official Latest, even though it's dated, okay, 2019 or so, this is the latest, which if you download the PDF from the public education website, uh, California Health Education Framework for third grade, that teachers can introduce the concept that gender does not always match the sexual and reproductive organs described. So as pastors, what do we do? 
We say, okay, one, we got to be talking about this in Sunday school. We got to be equipping the parents. We got to be praying for our teachers. And we need more information from the teachers of what pressure they feel and how we can support and shepherd them. Parents, does this matter to you? I talk to a lot of parents, and, and number one thing is academic. We got to get them in this program. We got to get them into this school. Academic. Yes, this is academics, brothers and sisters. But you see how now we need to be immersed in what the Bible teaches, in what the world is saying. And our youth workers, our children's workers, we got to get in there early, before third grade. At the, at the kindergarten TK level, we got to begin to talk about God's design. We, we, we cannot be afraid. The world's not afraid to tell us what they believe. And so parents, be vigilant. Think about it. Be prayerful. And appreciate the public educators who are Christians. And when you talk to some of those Christian principals and they got pressure coming down from the superintendent or the superintendent who's got pressure from the board, you pray for them. They're on the front line trying to hold the line. Beloved, we got to wake up. We got to move on too. I got to move on. So let's jump to point number two. The Lord has not left us alone. The hatred is real. The hatred is real. But secondly, he's left us the helper. He's left us the helper. And we've had lots of passages uh, where we looked at the Holy Spirit as the helper, John chapter 14 and, and earlier, and we'll have more passages. So I'll simply say this. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The helper is for God's people to live in this God's world, to live in God's world. Now, verses 26 and 27, it says, When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Okay, so that's speaking specifically to the believer and even to the unbeliever that the Spirit of truth will bear witness about Christ. So there's an internal witness, the work of the Holy Spirit working in the heart of the believer, reminding Jesus' disciples about Jesus' teaching, his reality, and the need to remain in him. So the question is, there's persecution coming. You've just told us that the world's going to hate us. How do we remain in you? The Spirit's going to help you. He's going to convict you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to bring you the Word of God. That's very true. And for the unbeliever who comes to Christ, the Spirit is going to bear witness that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God. But then you look at verse 27, and it says, You also, here's the missional part. Here's our witness. You also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning, meaning the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. The disciples have been with him from the very beginning of the time that he began to minister. Jesus was the one who called his disciples to be fishers of men. He called them into disciple making. And so, so they've been with him, listening to his teaching. Now he's departing. He's going to send them the helper, and the helper will help them remain in Christ, and the helper will help them bear witness for Christ. And that's what I meant. We must bear witness for Christ. And so this teaching here doesn't just apply to Jesus' 12 disciples. As I mentioned earlier, it, just, it, it applies to us, but the Holy Spirit will help us. That's why the Lord sent the Holy Spirit. That's point number two. Point number three, the hour. The hour. So what we've seen today is the hatred, the helper, the hour. Originally, I, was, I entitled our sermon, New Year, because it's Lunar New Year, Same Hour. <laughs> and Gabe said, eh, that's a little cheesy. I'm like, okay, okay. Okay, warning and witness. Warning and witness. 
But it is. It's a new year, but it's the same hour. And what is this hour? The hour is talking about the hour of the world. It's not just talking about the end times. It's this church age where Christians are in a temporary hour of persecution, but Christ will return one day, and he will establish his kingdom. Let's look at, uh, ooh, that's not 14 verses. Let me go back. That's uh, John 16, verses 1 to 4, and only the first part of verse 4. Okay, 4a. So that's my typo. John 16, verses 1 to 2. John 16, verses 1 to 2. And I want you to see the hour. The hour of testing. The hour of persecution. It says, I've said all these things to you. Why? To keep you from falling away. Meaning, I don't want, I, I've commanded you to remain in me. I don't want that persecution to drive you away. That's why I'm, I'm warning you ahead of time. And I'm reminding you of the mission. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour, it's not just one hour, the hour, figuratively, the hour, the temporary hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering service to God. Now, that's pretty intense. That This is true of the early Jews who persecuted Christians. That they literally kicked the Jewish Christians out of the synagogues and they literally, the Apostle Paul, thought that they were serving Yahweh when they made it their aim to kill Christians. They literally, Paul literally thought in the book of Acts that he was serving God. And so Jesus' words are true and real. Right? That's terrifying when you consider what's happening here, is that people are so deceived. Now, Jesus first warned that his followers would be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated or kicked out. Now, for early Jewish Christians, the synagogue was not only the place of worship and fellowship, but remember in the book of Acts that even these now Messianic Jews, these Jewish Christians, they still gathered in the synagogue, at a part of the synagogue, and they just preached Judaism completed by Jesus. They preached they preached early Christianity, the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ. And so they still gathered. They still had friends who were not yet converted. Uh, but, the, but the Jewish synagogue was also the place of social gathering. And so your place in the synagogue mat- mattered. So if you're kicked out of the synagogue, you lose your social status. You lose your community. That's why it was so important that the early church had Christian community. Eventually they met in homes for the most part, they were literally kicked out of the synagogue. And so for you and I, this is also being ostracized, maybe in the workplace because of what you believe. Maybe people find out in your community or, or you take your kids to be in sports and some of the other parents find out about your faith. And we, should be, we shouldn't be aggressive, overly aggressive, but we should not be ashamed to express our faith and belief. And you simply are at the workplace or in your community or with someone talking about some topic comes up, social, cultural thing, and you share your view or you share that you go to church and they judge you. And you might lose your place of standing. You might be seen in a certain way. This applies readily to us, even if you and I don't go to synagogues, right? We will be kicked out of the synagogue figuratively. And it's, it hasn't happened as much here in the United States, but we are part of the universal church, not the church, or I should say the church universal, because there is such a thing as a heretical universal church. 
We are part of a local church, but we are also part of the church universal. And we know that our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted in many parts of this world, where literally they want to kill Christians in the name of their God. And so this stuff applies. This stuff is true. Now look at verses 3 and the first part of uh, verse 4. It says, they will do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And we'll conclude that passage for us today here. And next week, we'll pick up on the second part of verse 4. But Jesus is saying, I'm warning you and reminding you to keep your witness strong. I'm, I'm telling you all these things. So when people persecute you, when you face that opposition, even when I showed you that slide, we should not get angry. Okay, our response is not anger. Our response is Jesus warned us about the world and the world's agenda. Jesus warned us that they will hate you. But we are still commissioned and called to love them. Because that's how Jesus loved us. We were pushing back against God. We were enemies of God. We were rebels against God. We didn't want God in our lives. Some of us maybe grew up being taught in church, but there was still a certain point where we wrestled, do I really believe this? If I become a Christian, that means I lose these freedoms. And if you're a believer, at a certain point, the Holy Spirit got you, turned your heart, and you grew, and more and more you're loving Christ. But there's a daily battle, isn't there, brothers and sisters, for loving ourselves versus loving Christ? And when the pressure of the world comes, Jesus says, look, I know you're already battling but the battle's going to get more fierce. You need community, you need each other, and you need to remember the mission and remember the helper that I sent you. The Holy Spirit will keep you and he will empower your Christian living. That's the big idea. The big idea this morning is the Holy Spirit, the helper. The Holy Spirit helps us remain in Christ and bear witness for him despite persecution. The Holy Spirit helps us to remain in Christ so when the pressure comes, your power to remain is in the Holy Spirit and to bear witness because Jesus already warned you so you knew that it was coming. You don't respond with anger. You're called to love this world that hates you if they really knew what you believed. But you're still called to bear witness. I'm called to bear witness. Our church is called to bear witness for him. For Christ, despite persecution, the Holy Spirit helps us remain in Christ and bear witness for him despite persecution. A lot more we could say, but we'll save it for another time. I want to end with this once again. If you don't know Christ, if you don't know Christ, we want to talk to you. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. He lived the perfect life, died the perfect death. He died on the cross in our place for our sin, and Jesus Christ rose from the dead that first Easter Sunday. You look at what happened, right? I understand last night, you know, many of us probably wouldn't attend a gathering that late or something like that. But at any time, our life can be taken, whether by disease or violence or just anything. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ or if you don't have purpose in life, you're thinking, why am I alive? What am I living for? And if anything resonates with you, don't leave here today without talking to you. Come to the Next Steps table. 
I'll be there. If you want to talk about Obria, Sanctity of Life, you have questions from last week, we'd love to talk to you. If you want some prayer, some comfort because of the shooting that happened, come talk to us. We'd love to pray for you. Okay, if you have questions about public education and, and, and how we can be equipped, talk to Pastor Terrence, the family ministry. No, I'm just kidding. We'll all talk to any of us. Okay? We, we'd love to walk with you. Come talk to us. Teachers, come talk to us because we'll, we'll be contacting you soon if you're still in public education, hopefully. Okay, come talk to us. Let us know how can we be praying for you. How, what's going on in the schools? What do we need to know as pastors? Talk to us. Okay, come talk to us. We want to pray for you. We want to be equipped. We need to stay on mission. Okay, let me pray. Father, I want to pray that if there's anybody in here today who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there's a reason why they're sitting here today. Lord, you've brought them here not to, not to celebrate Chinese New Year. You brought them here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, this passage today was hard and difficult, but there's so many who believe in you despite the hardship, despite the warnings. Why? Because you're real, you're true, and you've shown up in our lives in a very real way. Lord, maybe this morning you're showing up in someone's heart, tugging on their heart to make that commitment, to respond to you as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to become a Christian, to follow Jesus. If there's anybody in here today who wants to take that next step, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would save them now. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer for Father God in heaven, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins and to rise again. I confess that I am a sinner in need of your grace. I repent of my sin. I ask that you would help me to change, that you would change my heart. Lord Jesus, I want to be a follower of you. Of you. I want to follow you. I want to become a Christ follower. If you prayed that prayer, come by the next steps table. Let us know that you prayed that prayer, and we want to help you take your next steps. Father, I pray for all of us that you would help us to be disciple makers and everyday missionaries that live for you in light of this world, despite the persecution that comes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.